just hear that story? Did I just hear the story I heard? I know I heard the story I heard. Hour number three, the Pete Callender Show, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. If you are listening on the podcast, thank you very much. I appreciate it. By the way, you too can get the podcast. Just go to WBT.com or thepetecallendershow.com and subscribe. It's totally free, and then it comes right to your smartphone or tablet. Uh, but the top-of-the-hour newscast there that Mark Muller just did, uh, a dog has now gotten the monkeypox. So do we call it dog pox now? Or is that offensive to the dogs? An Italian gay couple gave it to their greyhound dog. Do not Google this story, people, especially if you are at a work computer. I'm just, I don't know. I Look, they apparently, according to the story that I just heard, said that they uh, they uh, they had the dog in the bed, and everybody brings the dogs up into, well, most everybody brings the dog in the bed. Caesar Milan would disapprove, but they, they let the dog sleep with them, and that the dog licked one of them. And I guess that's how he got uh, the monkeypox, which is not going to be named monkeypox for much longer, despite having that name since 1958. Uh, Dan says, all of the disparaging talk about monkeypox is a terrible affront to the only surviving monkey, Mickey Dolenz, especially after all he has done for contemporary culture. We should all, we all should stop and say, what, WWMD, what would Mickey do? Um, Yeah, I got some other COVID stuff I want to get to. And I've been told by Dean on Twitter that Clade is a way of splitting up groups like DNA groups. So they're trying to be scientific, but it is not helping. Um, they want to rename the monkeypox from monkeypox in the West Congo Basin or whatever. And they want to change these names so as to not be offensive. Not really clear why it's offensive. I understand the tourism component of it. That's actually the most compelling part. But we've always named these variants from where they came, because when you're trying to track a virus, the location is pretty important to find out where it's spreading, right? It, you're, by definition, you are looking at a geographic location when discussing the spread, because it starts here and then it goes there. That's, that's locational. And so to say where it started that's the epicenter. There's your, you know, patient zero. And then from there, it fans out. So when you're trying to figure out, hey, we got this new variant. Okay, well, let's go Let's go see if we can try to contain it. Where is it? I don't know. No idea where it is. We're not allowed to identify the region where the variant started. My God, we are making ourselves stupider. Like, we're in the prequel to idiocracy. I'm convinced. We really are. There's no other explanation for what we're seeing right now. There can't be. I mean, look. Hang on. The World Health Organization. Get this. World Health Organization said new names for the clades, for the variants. One was Congo Basin. One was West Africa. Now they're going to be known as Clade 1, Clade 2. They said that the new names are going to take effect immediately while a new name for the overall disease and virus will be worked on. 
The World Health Organization said anybody who wishes to submit a name suggestion can do so on their website. So we're we're going to just open this up to the public. Just submit names. This thing is going to be called Virus McVirus Face by the end of it. That's what's going to happen. And that's what we, this is the society we deserve. Really. Look, I can't complain, really, because it creates a, a target-rich environment for me, okay? And so personally, I benefit from the dumbassery, okay? I personally benefit from heightened levels of dumbassery. But I do, I, I do have concerns at the greater cost to society. I, I do. It does cross my mind that there may be people being harmed at a societal level. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like uh, I'm Jimmy McGill. I, I'm, I'm your better. I, I'm your, your Saul Goodman. I, I, I am aware that I am personally benefiting from this thing that is probably causing societal problems. The heightened level of dumbassery. But I am only one man. I try to solve all the world's problems. I only get three hours a day. And it's not even a real full three hours. So I'm kind of on a shortened time frame here. But I'm doing my best. Oh, get this. We had an email earlier from my friend Mark uh, who uh, made note of the uh, Minneapolis Teachers Union. Have you you heard this story? Minneapolis Teachers Union, they're going to, because they're facing layoffs. Um, I'm not sure what's going on up there, but they've got... They're going to have to lay off. I don't know. They're going to lay off teachers. Okay. I don't know. They, the teachers union says, let's start laying off the white teachers first because, you know, racism. Okay. So you're going to start firing white teachers first, and you're basing that only on the color of their skin because I guess being a white teacher makes them inherently racist. They're the oppressor. This is how far gone. This is... So deep into the zone of dumbassery. The zone of dumbassery. Minneapolis Teachers Union, you are so deep into it that you think that the non-racist position is to fire people based solely on the color of their skin. Which, I have a question. Now maybe this will get me fired. Not that I'm trying to get fired today. I just, I I realize in today's uh, day and age, you know, just asking questions is fraught with peril. But we're talking about Minneapolis. And I, I mean, I thought Chris Rock, the philosopher, told us that the only black people in Minnesota are Kirby Puckett and Prince. That's what I was led to believe. So if you're going to start firing the white teachers first before, like, that's all your, that, do they have any non-white people in Minnesota, in Minneapolis? I don't know. I haven't pulled the demographics, but I just remember Chris Rock in his uh, documentary talking about that. Low those many years ago. By the way, similar story. This out of Charlotte. In October, a federal grand jury awarded $10 million in punitive damages to a former top Novant health executive who claimed that he was fired because he's a white guy. And a federal judge now took most of the money back, citing a federal law that caps damages in Title VII workplace discrimination cases at $300,000. 
News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Email here from Tom. Pete, if we truly want to name things for what they really are, shouldn't it be, uh, shouldn't monkey pox be labeled monkeying around pox? I guess that, that could work. Yeah, monkeying around pox. Uh, also from an earlier email to you when you started, my wife is no longer yelling at the radio while you are on. Now she is nodding in agreement and actually laughing at your humorous comments. She agrees. You are an ideas guy and a giver. Well, thank you very much, Tom. See, this is this is me. I, I'm I'm changing hearts and minds one person at a time. I'm greeted as a liberator. That's uh, that's what we do here. We solve all of the world's problems in uh, you know in our limited time. Uh, all right, so the uh, federal jury in Charlotte awarded a $10 million uh, punitive damage award to a former top Novant health executive. Novant. 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 Anyway, federal judge took most of that money back. They gave him, the jury gave the guy $10 million, and the jury said, or the judge said, no, sorry, but the law says that it's capped at $300,000. U.S. Magistrate Judge David Kerr of Charlotte still ordered the Winston-Salem-based hospital chain to pay David Duvall. Loved him in uh, Days of Thunder. Anyway, uh, David Duvall to pay him some $4 million in damages, lost pay and interest. So he's still getting $4 million, according to this judge. He doesn't get the ten. Duvall was actually Novanti, not the actor. That's Robert Duvall. David Duvall was Novant's former vice president of marketing and communications. He said he lost his job in July of 2018 due to the company's efforts to diversify its top leadership. His attorney, Luke Largesse of Charlotte, told the Charlotte Observer on Monday that he and his client were disappointed but not surprised by the judge's decision to use the federal cap on punitive damages. So these are the punitive damages. Not the actual damages, right? This is you get actual damages when like, you suffered this loss. Here's your actual cost, and then there's what about my pain and suffering? Okay, here's some more money, right? That, that's no, that that's what they capped. Um, Novant has said it's going to appeal. They put out a statement saying the reduction of the punitive award by $9.7 million is a significant step in the right direction, as David Duvall conceded under oath at trial. Our diversity, equity, and inclusion program was properly implemented during the time of his employment. As such, we've, we believe an appeal is warranted. Oh, so because Duvall knew what your program was, knew that it was implemented appropriately according to your rules, therefore you didn't engage in discrimination? If you fired him because he's a white guy, that's discrimination, Novant. It's, it's pretty obvious that's what it is. And if you can't see that, you're insane. You're insane if you don't see that. That is clearly what it is. In a post-trial motion, Novant asked the judge to throw out all punitive damages and to set aside the jury's verdict. The judge refused, writing in his final order that Duvall had been terminated, quote, under circumstances from which reasonable jurors could conclude resulted based because of his race and gender. So what did he say? Reasonable people will conclude you fired him because he's a white guy. 
In addition to the $300,000 in punitive damages, Kayer ordered the company to pay more than $2.6 million in back pay and interest and close to $1.1 million in future salary and benefits. The $4 million judgment does not include legal fees and expenses. The judge will decide that at a future date. Uh, this is from the story at uh, uh, Charlotte Observer by Michael Gordon. It says the company, one of the Carolina's largest private employers, hired two women to assume Duvall's duties. That's just so typical. You had to hire two women to do the job of one guy. Oh, that's a joke. Come on. But the, I actually have there's an, I actually have a, a study from the Royal Economic Society published in 2020 that found that uh, female teams lower their contribution to the public good in the event of low likability, while male teams achieve high levels of cooperation irrespective of the level of mutual likability. You know what that means? It means dudes are like, man, I don't like you. But who cares? We got a common objective. Let's hit that. Women do not behave like that. This is science, people. Don't blame me. That's science. I have the study right here. Bam. <clears throat> um, so they fired David Duvall, a white guy, Navanted, and do, do, do they hired two women, one black, one white, white men serving as Novant's chief legal officer, medical group president, chief information officer, patient experience officer, and president of the company's Haymarket Medical Center in Northern Virginia, all five of these people were fired. They were all white guys. They all got fired and eventually replaced by a woman or a member of a minority group, according to the lawsuit. But hey, we did it according to our program that we wrote out ahead of time so everyone would know exactly how we're going to start firing the whiteies. That's what you're doing, guys. And that is, by definition... Racism. Sorry. Not sorry. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Dean called in and uh, answered the question. I could not understand why Novant fired the one guy, the marketing guy. Novant fires the guy. He says they fired him, and apparently the judge agreed, saying a jury, a reasonable jury, would conclude you fired this marketing guy because he was a white male, and then you hired two women to replace him. And I pointed out, I mean, I just noted, it takes two women to do the job of one guy. I mean, I'm just, it's just there. I mean, come on, that's comedy gold. It's right there. What am I supposed to do? I, come on. All right. But Dean points out, no, there actually is a reason for this. Is that you can get away paying women less than the guy, so you can hire more of them. That's... But no, because that would be 50%, and women make 70 cents on the dollar, uh, and so you would have to have, like, one in a, uh, one in a quarter woman or something. Then I'm started, I feel like I'm getting into some uh, constitutionally, uh, I don't know, thin ice here. This is like three times I'm, I'm, I'm risking my job. This is what I do, though. I risk my own livelihood to bring you this kind of compelling content every day. Uh, let's see here. Uh, e- email from Dennis. Monkeypox, uh, after hearing the story that is now transferred, it has made the jump from uh, humans to dogs, although it appears the dog licked 
the uh, owner whilst in bed. And uh, so now maybe Monkey Pox, does it go by the name? Maybe we rename it Poochie Pox. It's not bad. It has the alliterative quality that we all so enjoy. Jay says the attorney in that Novant case now gets a third and Duvall has to pay taxes. So $4 million doesn't go too far. This is why, Jay, that's exactly right. And uh, that is why I don't even play the lottery unless it's like a billion dollars. It's got to get to a billion before it's even worth my time. Um, I mentioned this. I mentioned the science. This was, again, from the Royal Economic Society, published by Oxford University Press in the year of our Lord 2020. Um, they fa- researchers found and uh, they did like this different kind of uh, public goods game, two-player public good game. And, and Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, what they found was that female teams lower their contribution to the public good in the event of low likability. So if they're on a team with other women and they don't all get along, that's just all female teams, and they don't all get along, they reduce their contributions. Even if it means there's a public good, there's a greater good that they're all working towards, they will all reduce their contribution, or the, some the, uh, the ones that are not liked or don't like others, they will reduce their contributions. Male teams, all male teams, achieve high levels of cooperation irrespective of the level of mutual likability. In mixed-sex teams, both women's and men's contributions depend on mutual likability. Similar results are found in the minimum effort game. Not a public good game, but an effort game. Our results offer a new perspective on gender differences in labor market outcomes. Mutual dislikability impedes team behavior, except in one group, all-male teams. Do you think that matters? Do you think that might have some sort of, I don't know, larger impact? Maybe draw some something out of that? Maybe it goes back millennia with the men hunting in the packs. Look, I, seriously, like, there's something about staring into a campfire, right? That that triggers ancient brain pathways because that's what our ancestors did millions of years ago, right? So doesn't it make sense that if you're all out on the hunt and whether or not we all starve to death, whether or not we all get eaten by lions or something, it all depends on us being able to set aside whatever mutual dislike we may have and we have to go out and we've got to we got to kill that elephant with our spears right i don't know i'm just spitballing here but it seems like there might be some application to other realms first off the most concerning i'm sure for the dei folks is going to be that uh that there are differences between men and women. I think that's probably they're going to have to they're going to have to come to terms with that part first before they even get into this area of thinking about oh my gosh this men and women when you put them on sex set sorry sex segregated or gender segregated what is it what is it sex segregated gender segregated what does it need to be in this scenario based on their bottoms and tops uh, when you uh, when you when you segregate them out like that and you put them on the onto the teams. 
you don't really have to worry about the old dude team performing because they're going to perform the same whether they like all of their teammates or not. Which is weird because I have actually been on some teams in the past where I kind of felt like some people weren't giving it their all. But, okay, that person may have been me. But it, it could have just as easily have been other people. Let me get back over to, there was an interesting development on COVID. First off, you know, yesterday, the uh, governor's ED ended. We're all happy about that. Governor uh, Governor Cooper's emergency declaration expired finally. It's over. Um, just after, of course, the CDC uh, totally redid all of its uh, guidelines and basically said, uh, act as an individual now. It's uh, it's it's all over. It's everywhere. It's transmitting. It's it's vi- viruses are going to virus. Okay, that's what it said. All right. So, well, they didn't say that, but they said almost that. Get this. This is out of a publication called CEN or Chemical and Engineering News. Okay. When you exhale, the aerosol droplets you expel experience a big shock. In an instant, these particles are thrust from the humid, carbon dioxide rich environment of the lungs into indoor air. That's often the polar opposite, not as humid and not carbon dioxide rich, right? This abrupt transition can be a rude awakening to any viruses that have decided to hitch a ride, including coronavirus, right? According to new research, SARS-CoV-2 infectivity can decrease by up to 90% within minutes of hitting indoor air. The study is the first to investigate how environmental conditions can influence SARS-CoV-2's survival in aerosols shortly after exhalation. The scientists determined that the virus's lifespan is greatly affected by the relative humidity of the new environment. Interesting. So less carbon dioxide and less humidity means the virus dies faster. Hmm. Hmm. This might have some sort of a connection to something we've been dealing with for the last two years or so. Oh, man, I can't remember. It's on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. Oh, it just came to me. Masks. Yeah. Masks. So this study, Chemical and Engineering News, that was in the Proceedings of National Academy, whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter, um, study is show. And this new study, and they looked at SARS-CoV-2, so COVID-19, they looked at the survival of the virus once it is expelled from your lungs. The aerosol droplets, the lung juice, as I refer to it as, uh, the lung juice basically dies faster in low-humidity, low-carbon-dioxide environments. It actually lives and thrives in humid, carbon-dioxide-rich environments. The lungs, inside the lungs, it's, right? it does well there. And then when it leaves your body as you exhale... And then you trap it up against your face in a high humidity, 
high CO2 environment right up against your face. This is why we saw some of the studies showing, you know, years ago at the beginning of the pandemic that the viral loads were higher for people who were wearing the masks. And, you know, one of the things to always keep in mind on the mask studies is that the, uh, the studies are always, well, rarely are they able to control for people who do not wear the mask properly. That's always one of the biggest limitations in the mask surveys, mask studies, is that people are not wearing the, the masks properly. They're not uh, replacing them frequently enough. This is the first study to investigate how environmental conditions can influence the virus's survival in aerosols shortly after exhalation. Scientists determined the virus's lifespan is greatly affected by the relative humidity of the aerosol's new environment. So in other words, these conditions that were described, right? these are the very conditions, the very setting for the mitigation effort employed. During the pandemic, we're going to get any kind of, oh, and by the way, this isn't even something new. Let's see here. The findings are similar to what has been reported for other aerosolized viruses, such as influenza. So this isn't even new information. Good job. What else? Some parents are now finding their kids playing catch up since the pandemic and learning more about how COVID impacted kids. This story from KRON. Speech and language therapists say they are now treating children with developmental deficits born from COVID mitigations, like masks. From understanding facial cues to reading comprehension, experts say addressing the problems early is critical. In a large ongoing study of child neurodevelopment, researchers at Brown University and Rhode Island Hospital found children born during the pandemic have significantly reduced verbal, motor, and overall cognitive performance compared to children born pre-pandemic. Every age is affected in their own way. In babies, it might be establishing eye contact, joint attention, play skills. Joint attention is not like, hey, pass it over, man. Not that kind of joint attention. Not losing track of where it is in the circle. No, it's when you are paying attention to the other, to the baby and the baby's paying attention to you. Joint attention. Play skills, speaking first words, For preschool and school-aged kids, articulation or speech sounds, expressive and receptive language skills may be impacted, including reading comprehension or the ability to express wants and needs. Older kids may experience deficits in social language skills. While masks can hinder facial cues, experts say isolation plays a critical role as well. read an interesting piece at brownstone.org by Mark Oshinsky. He talked about how when he was six, the Beatles invaded America. During that craze, he said, my mom let me go with my sister and her friends to the movies. We saw a doubleheader, the uh, Hard Day's Night, double matinee, Hard Day's Night, and Help. And he said the girls in the movie theater were just screaming the entire time. Mostly girls, right? Screaming. He says, I remember them, they were screaming like nonstop for two hours for a band that was just chilling back in Liverpool. They weren't there. They are just watching a movie. I remember thinking it was kind of silly to scream like that. Nonetheless, it was awesome to behold because it was so loud. It went on for so long. I was excited to be in that setting. I felt like a part of something unusual and hip. Even though I didn't scream, I was happy I got to go. And uh, by the way, uh, there was a similar story that was told uh, when the Beatles played. I think it was the Ed Sullivan show 
that they there there were well and other venues. Let's just say this, and I don't want to be too graphic about it, but there were um, rivers of well urine that flowed down the aisles and collected at the stage. They lost control of bodily functions. Um, he goes on to say in this piece, sports events can be the same. You got tens of thousands of people roaring, right? About whether a guy can put a leather sphere into a hoop. It's kind of irrational, but at the same time, it's kind of fun. You get swept up in the theater of it. Crowds raise excitement, but they also impair reason. Both kids and adults are very vulnerable to peer pressure. TV, for example, routinely exploits this. He says this is the similarity and this is the same phenomenon that we saw with what he calls Corona mania, like Beatle mania, Corona mania. Oh, wait a minute. Can we still say, can we say Beatle mania? Is that allowed? I mean, if we're changing the name of monkey pox after the monkeys, maybe Beatle mania needs to leave or maybe Beatle pox. Well, that's definitely off the table. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Yeah.